0: Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson.
1: When you start living by faith, inevitably you will be accused of things like irresponsibility. You'll be accused of things like, you know, hey, that's fanatical. What are you thinking? What are you doing? And if you've never been accused of that, maybe you've never really been living by faith at any point. Because faith looks crazy crazy to the natural man.
0: Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study in the book of Genesis. Join us as Pastor Brian begins his teaching on Genesis chapter 25, verses 1 through 11 in a message titled, The Just Shall Live by Faith. Now, here's Pastor Brian.
1: Well, as we've studied through the life of Abraham, we come now really to the closing chapter in his life. As you remember, Sarah has already died. Abraham lived another 37 or so years after the death of Sarah. Isaac has been married to Rebecca. And so, in chapter twenty-five, we read Abraham again took a wife, and her name was Keturah, and she bore him Zimran, Jokshan, Medan, Midian, Ishbak, and Shuah. Jokshan begot Sheba and Dedan. The sons of Dedan were Ashuram, Letushim. Leumim, and the sons of Midian were Ephah, Epher, Hanak, Abadah, and Elda. All these were the children of Keturah. So, in his old age, Abraham, again, takes a wife, shows you just how radically rejuvenated Abraham was. <laughs> there was a point where he was incapable, and, and that the scripture definitely indicates that the problem was on both sides: the deadness of Sarah's womb and Abraham's body that was also dead. So God radically rejuvenated Abraham, and so he marries again, late in life. Now. This woman, Keturah, we know absolutely nothing else about her except what is stated here, so there's no sense in speculating in regard to her. But it is interesting looking at the names of her children that she bore. And probably the most familiar name in the list would be Midian, and we read much in the scripture about the Midianites. Some good, some bad. And But yet we see the, the connection with these families. Many of these families in that region uh, were actually related. There were the Ishmaelites, of course, who were the children of Ishmael, the son of Abraham. And then the Israelites, ultimately. But then these other peoples that are mentioned here. Henry Morris said this, and I think it's worth repeating. He said, the few intimations of the names of the sons of Keturah that have appeared in the archaeological inscriptions do seem to confirm the statement of verse 6, that they were sent by Abraham into the east country. And so we didn't read that far. Verse five, and Abraham gave all that he had to Isaac, but Abraham gave gifts to the sons of the concubines which Abraham had. And while he was still living, he sent them eastward away from Isaac, his son, to the country of the east. So, again, back to Morris's quote, he says, He sent them into the east country, which would mean into Arabia. Through millennia of migrations and intermarriages, it seems likely. That all of these peoples, together with the descendants of Ishmael, Lot, and Esau, along with earlier descendants of Shem, and in some cases Ham, have gradually merged and become the modern-day Arabic peoples. So we got a huge family feud going on in the Middle East, basically. Everybody's related, most of them back to Abraham. But Abraham gave all that he had to Isaac. And of course, Isaac, the covenant, you remember God had made with Isaac. And so the sum of the years of Abraham's life, verse 7, which he lived was 175 years. We were introduced to Abraham at the age of 75. And so we have looked at his life over a 100-year period. Now, of course, we've just gotten little glimpses here and there of that 100-year period, some of those key moments in his life. But now he's come to the end. Then Abraham breathed his last and died in a good old age, an old man, and full of years, and was gathered to his people. And his sons, Isaac and Ishmael, buried him in the cave of Machpelah, which is before Mamre in the field of Ephron, the son of Zoar the Hittite. The field which Abraham purchased from the sons of Heth, there Abraham was buried, and Sarah his wife. And it came to pass after the death of Abraham that God blessed his son Isaac, and Isaac dwelt at Bir Lahairoi. So, good, long, godly, faithful life for Abraham, the man of faith. In Hebrews chapter 11, the author, in talking about faith, He looks at some of the great men and women of faith in the Old Testament, and, of course, Abraham is there. And I thought it would be good for us tonight just to sort of take an overview. And let's just go back over and and highlight some of the key points, which are, are actually already done for us in Hebrews chapter 11. But once again, I think it would be good to encourage ourselves just in this area of faith because faith is so vital it's the one thing that you cannot do without because without faith it's impossible to please God so let's go ahead and just flip over to Hebrews chapter 11 and we'll pick up in verse 8. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he dwelt in the land of promise, as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise." These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. And truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have had opportunity to return. But now they desire a better, that is, a heavenly country. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, "In Isaac your seed shall be called, concluding that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from which he also received him, in a figurative sense. So there's the synopsis of the life of Abraham. And I think the author here, he hits on three key points of faith for Abraham. First of all, in verse eight, by faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go to the place which he would receive as an inheritance And he went out not knowing where he was going. Now, we live in a time where I think we have done a pretty good job of eliminating the need to live by faith. We have built a world that, is very capable of taking care of us in so many ways and not only have we, have we built this kind of a world but we've also developed a, a dependency upon the system and much of it although you know much of it is good in many ways much of it really does sort of to some degree anyway, eliminate the need to live by faith or eliminate the opportunities to live by faith that previous generations have had. And I think as good as it is in one sense, I think it's, there's a negative side to it because it, it's resulted in, I believe, sort of a dwarfing of us in the spiritual sense. You know, when you read about previous generations of Christians before the modern age, before the age of all the technological development and things like that, you find that there tended to be just a a deeper faith, a a greater commitment, a greater dependency on God, you know, trusting in the Lord. And we've, like I said, we've sort of circumvented that to some degree today. You know, if you go through a time of depression, you run over to the psychologist and he prescribed some antidepressants and, you know, you take a few of those and then you're right back in action. Back in earlier generations, you had to get on your knees, call out to God, trust God, depend on Him. And the same is true for for many different kinds of things. But one thing that I think we all are, are realizing presently is that this system that we've developed is not quite as secure or stable as we have assumed that it is. Instead of living by faith, we, we just get sucked up into the system itself and we, we find ourselves really uh, depending on so many of the wrong things and not really depending on the Lord like he would have us to abraham was a man who he lived by faith and we see that here in verse eight and again of course we've looked at it already to some extent but he went out not knowing where he was going boy that is such a great description of what it is to live by faith. Going out, not where, knowing where you're going, but you're going out because God is calling you to go. You see, we're so programmed to, to think in terms of, well, you know, we've got to see it all laid out before us. We've got to sit down and calculate it all out and make sure that it's all going to work out. And then, you know, if it looks good, then we'll go ahead and make that move. But that's not the way God operates. That's not the way he's ever operated. And that's not the way we should be thinking if we're going to really, you know, experience that full blessing of the life of faith. Remember Paul in writing to the Corinthians, he said these words. He said, for we walk by faith, not by sight. We walk by faith, not by sight. He's making a contrast between faith and sight. And you could even say that sight would be a reference not just to sight in the visual sense, but it's, it's more even of a general reference to the senses. We walk by faith, not by our senses or not by our feelings. At least that's the way we're supposed to walk. You see, if I only move in the direction of things that I can understand or things that I can figure out, or things that feel like I should go this way because, you know, it seems to me through my mental uh, calculations that it's going to be, it's all going to be good, then I am going to potentially miss out on a ton of wonderful things that God might want to do. And this is something that I believe we need to really you know, we need to grasp this. When you start living by faith, you will be, inevitably, you will be accused of things like irresponsibility. You'll be accused of things like, you know, hey, that's fanatical. What are you thinking? What are you doing? And if you've never been accused of that, maybe you've never really been living by faith at any point. Because faith looks crazy To the natural man. Faith looks irresponsible a lot of times. What do you mean you're just trusting God? What is that? You got to do something. You can't just trust God. Well, if God has said something to you specifically, if God has told you something, then regardless of what it looks like, you've got to stick with what God has told you. And you see, that's where it will get difficult at times for people. Because it doesn't look like it's going to work out. It doesn't look like it's going to go in that direction. It looks like you're being irresponsible. But there you are by faith. Now, imagine Abraham. Imagine when he's leaving his homeland in Ur of the Chaldees. And imagine as he's packing up and getting ready to head out. And his neighbors are coming and saying, well, where are you going? I don't know. (laughs) Well, what do you mean you don't know? Well, I don't know where I'm going. Well, why are you leaving? Well, God told me to. Well, you mean God told you to leave, but he didn't tell you where to go? That's right. Oh, that's crazy. That's nuts. You can't leave not knowing where you're going. But that was the very thing that God called Abraham to do to leave, not knowing where he was going. You see, and oftentimes what the Lord will do is he will call us to take a step of faith where we have to step in a direction. We have to start down a road without a clear understanding of where we're gonna end up at, but just knowing that we we've just gotta get started and trust that as we're going, God is going to, he's gonna move us. He's gonna lead us. So Abraham went out, not knowing where he was going, but that's what God called him to do. That's what God called him to do. That was stepping into that plan and that purpose of God. But now look, as we read through verses 9 through 16, look at some of the different things that we we come across there. By faith he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country dwelling in tents. And notice as we, as we read down a bit further there, verse 13, These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. Abraham did not have to live in a tent. He came into a land that was developed by the Canaanites. There were cities He came from a a major city, but he chose to live in a tent. It was a choice that he made. He lived as a foreigner in the country that God had promised to him. And in doing so, he was making a statement. That's what the author is telling us here. And the statement that Abraham was making was essentially that he was waiting for a heavenly city. So Abraham becomes for us a beautiful picture of what we're told our attitude is to be as believers in the world. That we're not to set our mind on the things of the earth, but rather we're to set our mind on the things above. That we as pilgrims and sojourners are to abstain from fleshly lust, which war against the soul. You see, the point that the scripture makes over and over again for us in regard to this world is that we are to live in this world with as as few ties as possible. We're not to get tied down. We're not to get burdened down. We're not to get weighed down and slowed down. I think you could build a bit of a case that from the New Testament standpoint, the church was intended by God to be what you might call nomadic. Nomads, of course, are people who live in tents. And the great thing about a tent is you can pack it up and move it somewhere else anytime. And as you look at the New Testament, this is more or less the picture that we're getting. Constant warnings against settling down in this life. Of course, there was always the possibility that the Lord was going to return. So there's the many exhortations to be about the Lord's business, awaiting his coming. But there were also warnings about judgments and things that were coming. And therefore, it wasn't really time to, you know, to settle in and to become comfortable. And this is an area where I think that we as modern-day Christians have sort of lost that perspective. Now, I'm not saying that you can't settle down anywhere. We've all done that to some extent right here. But the point is this, not that we can't settle down, but that we don't get so attached that we can't just pull up stakes. And when the Lord says, hey, I want to move you over here, we just say, all right, here we go. That's how the patriarchs were living. They were not getting themselves entangled in the world. They were looking for a city that has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. And again, we have these kinds of exhortations all through the New Testament. But I love that picture that's given to us here. They confess that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. Think of how many things in the world that that slow us down, that bog us down in in regard to our spiritual progress. And and of course, it's not just the things that we're obligated to do. So often it's, it's the other things, things we don't have to do, but things we feel compelled to do or things we get sucked into doing, where so much of our time is consumed with just, you know, living and and experiencing life in the world, we, we don't have much time to focus or to concentrate or to dedicate our efforts toward the things of the kingdom.
0: November, Back to Basics Radio is offering a book titled, A Non-Anxious Presence, How a Changing and Complex World Will Create a Remnant of Renewed Christian Leaders by Mark Sayers. According to Sayers, we're living in between two eras, an era that is passing away and an era that is not fully formed. This has created a context of confusion, stemming from the influences of both the passing and forming eras. He calls this time the gray zone. It is a time in which we are living that has caused a cultural mood of anxiety, which has the ability to paralyze rather than prosper. We not only live in an anxiety-infected culture, but many have become anxious presents themselves. So in his book, A Non-Anxious Presence, Mark Sayers explains how to identify, navigate, and adapt to this gray zone phase of global culture. He argues that the only solution for an anxious presence is the presence of God Himself. This book will give you a personal awareness of the times in which we live and help you develop a non-anxious presence. So we encourage you to call us right now at 1-800-733-6443 or visit us online at backtobasicsradio.com to order A Non-Anxious Presence, How a Changing and Complex World Will Create a Remnant of Renewed Christian Leaders by Mark Sayers. And when you give a gift to Back to Basics, we'll send you this book as our way to say thank you. We do appreciate your generous support of this ministry. We'd also like to remind you,